Uh, well done, you, you sir. Hi. Uh, why is he late? Oh. <laughs> oh, I miss a lot. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Uh, well done, you, because he didn't just win the world. It's your sixth time winning the world championship. It is. Amazing. Yes. Which is, I mean, an amazing achievement. Yeah. I've got him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And you have won, but the season isn't over yet. Yeah. Okay, because you were so far ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I, my question, I mean, maybe this is a stupid question, that why bother doing the rest of the... <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what I Like, think. wouldn't you yeah. park up, totally. put up the yeah. radio, have a Greg's, just <laughs> in the bar, and it's like... I've got it. Uh, bring me the champagne. You know, Graham, the, the seasons are so long. We start training in January, testing starts in February, first race is in March, and it goes all the way in to the beginning of December. So, of course, I'd love to take a break. Yeah. I, I wish, kind of wish I didn't have to do the last two races. However... You don't. You do. That was my point. You don't. <laughs> you don't need the points, because the championship's yeah. done. Yeah. And the team championship is done, but um, but I still want to win the races, you know. And now it's more, it's kind of fun. The pressure was on previously, and now these are kind of more laid back. But in these two races, I can experience and, and learn some new things, which I can take on to next year. But and now that you're the one to beat, I guess you've always been the one to beat. For a do, while now. Do people, <laughs> do, the, but do the other drivers kind of treat you differently? Do you feel under threat? Is it more dangerous being you because they're so desperate to, to beat you? Uh, I don't think, no, it's not more dangerous. Um, now, now the second oldest driver there, believe it or not. Ah, wow. And all the, you know, there's, there's 19, 20-year-olds that, that, that have come in. Um, but no, I, I, honestly, I don't. I think, naturally, I am a target. But my race number when I was eight years old was number 44. So even though I am number one, and I have been for the last couple of years, and I should have number one on the car, I keep 44 in there. So every oh. year, I feel like I'm just starting a clean slate and no one's champion, but I want to be the champion. And does so it get harder as you get older then? Do you, does your reaction time go? Do you get worse? Or um, you I'm lucky. <laughs> no, it's, no, 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 it's a really yeah. good question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. No, my reaction times are pretty good um, at the moment still. <laughs> but at some stage, they may obviously drop off. So, but you can train still to, to sort that. Yeah. I do think that there is a point in which, you know, you can't keep it up. The okay. demand on the season is so high. The sacrifice that you have to continue to make to be an opera and, and perform at the top of your, of your level every year, it, it, it takes so much time away from family, away from friends, yeah, yeah. and the sacrifices that you make. I mean, there is a point in which you just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs>
it's just you know getting the the long stuff out, get the weight down, and um, you know trying to get yourself into a position to be ready. You know, there's already talks of other fights possibly maybe in the future. Um, so I've just got to make sure that I'm ready. And there's a few dates popping up, and I want to be on them shows. So I've got to put myself in the best physical place to be able to say, yeah, I'm ready to go. Get me a matchup. Obviously, we spoke. I think it was a day after your fight with Terry over Zoom. Um, as I say, first time we've spoken since. Since then, you know, they had more time to think about things. I'm sure your opinion wouldn't have changed. You won the fight. But what has time done for yourself? Has it kind of made the fight just kind of just sit in your mind? You kind of think about it or have you moved past it, just looking towards either trying to get a rematch with her at some point or looking beyond that to other fights? Yeah, I don't think, you know, there's, there's no point in dwelling on it. What, 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 the, what the decision is, the decision is... Um... I've just got to make sure it's better next time. As I say, there's there's other people out there. I've proved that I'm at that level. You know, there's there's Miss Caskell, there's Brockhouse, there's I can I can easily go up a weight. I'm I'm a big super feather once I'm in the ring. Um, you know, there's possibly fights with other champions. Um, I see my dreams found another one maybe Hammer Douche yesterday. Um, and there's you know there's big fights out there for women's boxing, especially when you're around the the super featherweight and lightweight division. Um, Welter's pushing it a little bit, but you know that that's as that's as high as you can go. And then, you know, there's there's a, a load of leams through in a hat. And I, like I say, that's what I'm back here for to make sure I'm in the best position to say, okay, I want that one, I want that one. Let's go. On the back of a performance you produced against Terry, despite the fact you never picked up the world titles, obviously it's a brilliant performance from yourself. But because you don't have that title behind you now, do you think fighters will look at you even more so now and think, we don't really need to give ourselves that type of a tough opposition if there's nothing on the line for us, no reward for them? Yeah, um, probably. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, they're not the fights I'm after. I'm after the Katie Taylors, I'm after the McCaskills, I'm after the Terry Harpers, I'm after the Maver Hamadouche, I'm after, you know, Brovica, I'm after anyone who's got a title. They're the ones I want. I don't, I don't need... People wanting me to be a stepping stone, or people wanting me to, you know, as a as a dangerous opponent. I, I want to be the uh, a world champion. So, like I say, I've I've proved myself now, and I knew I had that all along. I just needed the the bit between my teeth to do it. And you know, I'm, I'm a dangerous underdog. Just on Terry, obviously Terry, you know, the teams come out saying they're going to face in Katarina Fanders next WBC ordering that fight. When you heard that, was you surprised that the rematch wasn't? kind of pursued a bit harder or wasn't made? A bit of both, to be honest. If, um, I, I don't blame Terry for, for not wanting to fight me next. Um, you know, we've seen with the Dillian White that the rematches can be made as instantly as possible. So if Terry and her team wanted that rematch straight away, we would have got it. And that's all I'll say. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone, but that's the truth. What do you make of a fight with Katarina? Um, it's a good fight. Uh, Tandis is a good boxer. Um, she, you know, she's not the biggest puncher, um, but she's very skillful. Um, I still think Terry wins. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a good fight to watch. And you know, women's boxing's on the on on the rise, and you know, people are starting to appreciate the skills that we have have. And I think at that level, it's not in but skill, and that both girls will put on a great performance. Do you believe if Terry comes through successfully? you will have the rematch, if not necessarily straight after. Katarina, certainly in the near future or in, in her coming fights, or do you think she will look to face other opponents and avoid it because 
of what a brilliant fight you both produced uh, during fight camp? Um, like again, I wouldn't blame her. Um, but I think the idea is that she has a fight, I have a fight before the end of the year, and then we we we, we meet again um, early next year. You know, like I said, you know, it, that's the fight I want. I've always said all along I want a WBC belt. Um, but you know, any belt is good enough for me now um, in the position I'm in. So my profile's raised. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back, you know, mentioned in the likes of Katie Taylor, mentioned in the likes of McCaskill, mentioned in the likes of Terry. Um, and yeah, I just want to keep that movement going forward and, and, and fight for anyone who's got a belt. We obviously saw the mccaskill Brackhouse rematch announced, I believe it was two days ago now. Um, what do you make of that one, Tasha? Again, it was another, it was another great fight, another close fight. Um, two girls at the top of their game. Um, I don't know a few people thought Brockhouse was um, a, bit, a bit unlucky. Personally, myself, probably the same. Um, but you know, again, it's just it's a great fight to be had. And the, the great thing about you know Eddie and the the way he's promoting women at the minute, he's got all the best females in in the weight division um, at his stable. So. You know, them championship fights, which are sometimes a bit difficult to make in the men's, aren't as hard to make in the women's, especially when we're all under one promoter. Just away from your weight, but sticking with the women's boxing, Marshall ranking was announced yesterday. Again, just what do you make of that fight? How do you see that one playing out? Um, I, to be honest, I haven't seen that much of Hannah Rankin. Um, you know, she comes across as a great girl. She's been in the sport a long time, so... You've got to be wary of people's experience and um, what they bring to the table. But, you know, Savannah's someone I've come alongside up through the amateur ranks and I've known since Savannah literally since she was a kid. And she is probably the, the most powerful punch out of anyone I've ever sparred. Um, so, you know, I think she, she's shown that in a, a, a pro boat so far. And she's, she's got like an awkward style to go with that tall you know, dangerous, that's, that's, that's a hard opponent to, to beat and I think, she, I think she'd beat Tana Rankin. Tasha, we'll leave that there and we'll leave you now to enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate your time as always. I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for speaking to Boxing Social. Oh, cheers, thanks for having me. Cheers. This is the trainer of Dex Spellman, the guy who just got stopped by Anthony Yard. Uh, when was it? Last weekend or the weekend before? I forget. But he has done this interview after posting something on Twitter, I believe, where he was complaining about the fact that his guy, Dex Spellman, has received a 45-day suspension from the British Board of Boxing Control after being stopped by Yard, whereas Dylan White only received a 28-day suspension from the British Boxing Board of Control after suffering a far more devastating knockout defeat against Povetkin. And he's basically complaining that there isn't any consistency when it comes to handing out these uh, knockout suspensions. Now, for those of you who don't know, the rules are in the UK, and it's been this way for many years, any fighter who gets you know stopped or knocked out receives a mandatory suspension. This is for safety reasons. Now, Spellman's trainer, Carl Greaves, again, argues that Dylan White's knockout loss was far more devastating. So why does he receive a shorter suspension? And, and by the way, the two 
suspensions that they have, the standard suspensions are 28 days and 45 days. Spellman got 45, Dylan White got 28. There are various factors to take into account in terms of how much punishment each fighter took overall in the fight. Dylan White didn't really take much punishment at all, just one solid shot and that was it. Whereas Dex Spellman took far more punishment throughout the course of whatever it was, seven, eight rounds. But he didn't suffer the kind of devastating knockout. Now, I suspect that Carl Greaves is probably correct in making the assumption that there are some politics going on here. We know that Eddie Hearn is the most powerful man in British boxing and one of the most powerful men in world boxing. And perhaps he carries favor with the British Boxing Board of Control. Frank Warren certainly did for many years. You know, he, he seemed to get the rub of the green when he was the top promoter in the UK a lot of the time with the British Board. And now that Eddie Hearn's the top guy in uh, British boxing, he seems to get the rub of the green a lot of the time. So I'm not at all dismissing the possibility that there is some uh, favoritism, let's just call it that, going on. I'm not dismissing that possibility. However, Dylan White fought Povetkin, when was it, the 22nd of August? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was the date. 45 days from the 22nd of August would take us through to, what, early October. Now, in a normal training camp, you don't spar the whole way through the training camp. You might have let's say a four week or five week period of sparring. It varies from fighter to fighter and from camp to camp, but you might have a four or five week period where you're sparring. So really and truly, Dylan White could have received a 45 day suspension and still had enough sparring to fight Alexander Povetkin. If he got a 45 day suspension, that would have taken him through to, uh, as I say, early October. The fight is in late November. So he still would have had most of October and, you know, a good deal of November to spar. Yeah, he, he might have been a week or two short of normal sparring, depending on how much sparring he does. So, you know, and one thing that Carl Greaves pointed out in this Seconds Out interview, and uh, Danny Flexen kind of pointed out, and Carl Greaves agreed, is that he's never had a representative from the British Boxing Board of Control turn up at his gym to check that any of his fighters who have been suspended following a stoppage defeat are actually not sparring. He's never had that. Therefore, you have to assume that because these suspensions are not really enforced, a lot of fighters are probably flouting these rules. So it's really down to the ethical, you know, the, the ethics and the morals of the trainer and the people around the fighter in terms of, you know, taking care of their health. The British board recommends that 45 days, no sparring. Because the, the 45 days isn't just for fights, it's also for sparring, right? The British board recommends 45 days without any of it, uh, or 28 days, depending on what they give the fighter. It's really up to the trainer to implement that, the way it sounds. You know, maybe in more high-profile training camps, you do get the British board coming in and, you know, making sure that they're not sparring too early or whatever the case may be you know, coming into the gym. But with the likes of Carl Greaves and the fighters he deals with, apparently not. So now Frank Warren, as you would expect, has tried to make the most of this. And he said that 
you know, Dylan White shouldn't be fighting this soon. It's not safe. So on and so forth. But he really needs to take up issue with the British Boxing Board of Control who've only given him a 28-day suspension as opposed to 45. So that's really where Warren needs to direct his criticism. Um, he's, he's acting like he cares so much about Dylan White's health. I personally don't buy that. You know, I, I don't buy that. Frank Warren is an opportunist when it comes to criticizing his competition. And I just think he's just using this as an opportunity. He's using this as a stick to beat Eddie Hearn with, basically. You know, to make out as though the Hearns are unethical and so on and so forth. I mean, Eddie Hearn said in a recent interview that he has never been in a legal, you know, a court situation with a fighter. And he hopes that he never will. Frank Warren can't say the same. Frank Warren has really tried to go after fighters legally. And as we know, he's lost in several instances. Like against Joel Calzaghe, he lost. He tried to go after him legally. Uh, Tony Bellew, same way. He tried to go after him legally and he lost. But the majority of times he wins. Okay, and that doesn't mean that he's in the right necessarily. Because uh, in, in, in legal situations, it's not always about who's right and wrong. It's about who can prove certain things. And it's also, in, in many cases, who's got the deepest pockets to pay for the lawyers in a protracted legal battle. And Frank Warren has got deep pockets. <laughs> you know? So a lot of fighters, they can't really afford a protracted legal battle with the man, even if they're in the right. So when he's running around virtue signaling, talking about, oh, it's terrible what the Hearns are doing and bringing up Lee Purdy and the sauna and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black, really and truly. If you're talking about uh, being ethical and, and, and what have you. So anyway, long story short, I can see where Carl Greaves is coming from in terms of the lack of consistency for the British Boxing Border Control. And despite the fact that Frank Warren is uh, really practicing some selective outrage and probably hypocrisy, I can also see where he's coming from, if he was actually genuine, which I don't think he is, with regards to Dylan White's health. Because fighters tend to be warriors. They don't consider their own health and safety as much as the people around them should and as much as the fans should. So, yeah, if I was in Dylan White's camp, I would be concerned about him coming back against Povetkin this early. You know, you don't know what kind of neurological effects a fighter can still be suffering from a knockout defeat like that and how long that takes to heal, you know? So in an ideal situation, if Dylan White was to rematch Povetkin, I think same like AJ, there should be about a six-month gap if, it's, if it has to be an immediate rematch. Preferably, in my view, he should take a fight in between. That might not be practical contractually. It might not be possible. But ideally, that's what, in my view, should happen. You know, take an easier fight in between to just get himself back in, you know, winning ways, get himself back in the... Uh, the mindset of being in the ring, exchanging punches, maybe exercise some of those demons before stepping back in against Povetkin and maybe work on some of the things that he's been working on to try and correct the mistakes he made in the first fight. So yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about 
this uh, Dylan White 28-day suspension. Carl Greaves being upset about the lack of consistency from the British Boxing Board of Control, hinting at favoritism. And I think he's, you know, probably right. I can't prove it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. So let me know what you guys think in the comments below. It's happening I'm out. This is Andy Purawa for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm delighted to be joined by Hosea Burton here at Gallagher's Gym in Bolton. Hosea, first and foremost, how are you doing? Pretty good. It's good to hear, mate. It's good to hear. Now, obviously, you're getting ready now to, to fly out to Latvia to face Ricard, Ricard Belotniks. Just talk to me about that firstly, your thoughts and obviously having to face Belotniks in the semi-finals of a Golden Contract tournament. It is what it is. Um, to, to be fair, I didn't really want to go to Latvia, but... I'm not bothered about travelling to Latvia. Um, I'm not bothered about fighting Ricard Blotnik. It's just another step towards the final. And you got to fight who you got to fight. And it wasn't in our choice. Listen, someone picked the out the balls and the golden ball was the last ball to be drawn. So, listen, I'm not bothered. It is what it is. What do you make of Ricard as a fighter? What are you expecting from him? Um, Ricard's, Ricard's not a bad fighter. He's... Um, Yeah, he's not a bad fighter. He's he looked very impressive against Stephen Ward, but um, I think that was a really bad Stephen Ward on the night. And I'm not giving too much away, but I reckon I can beat Ricard easy enough. This, if you was to be victorious, obviously leads into that final. Who do you feel you would end up facing? Obviously Liam Conroy versus Serge Michel, the other semi-final. Right. So that that fight's a really tricky fight. You'd say. The ever so slightly more skilled would be Michelle, but the more stronger would be Conroy. Who holds the shot the best? I don't really know. Both of them gets chinned. Um, all right, um, Michelle's only been knocked out once off of Fords, who caught him with a money punch. Um, Conroy's been hurt a few times, been stopped a few times. So I'm thinking towards later rounds Conroy stoppage or Michelle points what would victory in the golden contract tournament do for yourself victory in the golden contract tournament um, it mean everything wouldn't it it mean world title shots um, five fight contract it'd be something that I was really looking for you know something that you don't always get offered so it's um it's one of them things that you really, it's a must win because it's like, um, it's like your golden ticket. I know they call it the golden contract, but it is your golden ticket to, to the big time in boxing. If you're good enough, you'll make it. And if you're not, you've had your chance. I know how tough the last couple of years or so have been for yourself, waiting for a big opportunity. Would you have imagined that it would have come in this kind of format whilst you was waiting for it? No, I never, never thought it would be like this. Um, the last few years has been very, very, very hard to stay 100% dedicated and focused because I've just, as you know, I've not just had the chances. I've, I've been up there willing to go, wanting to fight anybody and the chances have just not come across. Um, if a chance has came across, it's been for, for absolute no money at all where it just doesn't make sense. So for it to come across in this format is great because you're getting plenty of fights you're getting better as you're going along. 
by the final I'll be peaking, I'll be ready to ready to fight anybody, never mind just I think I think the hardest semi is the semi I'm in now. That should be the final. The the real final should have been me and Adjusaf, but I've already dealt with that one, so I'll have to deal with this one and then everything's smooth sailing from there. Talk to me about sparring for uh, this process, obviously you've had to contend with the pandemic and lockdown. Has it been easy to get sparring in or have people been a bit cautious still? I think everyone's been eager to get back at things, you know, get back to normal, whatever normal is. Um, so everyone took the lockdown serious and everyone was, was, was really scared for a while, but then nobody really had any family or friends what was fallen sick all the time. Okay, there was a few, with an exception, but I don't really know many people who had coronavirus and and died of it and a lot more people didn't know many so with regards of sparring it hasn't been that hard of getting sparring just to touch on the light heavyweight division obviously a few fights that have taken place recently uh, domestically start off this, this past weekend yard spellman uh, six round victory a six round stoppage victory for anthony what did you make of his performance i never watched the fight i never watched it but um, that fight shouldn't have even been passed by the board because lyndon arthur already had beat um, Dex Bellman so why didn't they find somebody fresh who never just come off a defeat wasn't down of yourself and probably out on the beer you know when you get beat you, you're in a, such a low devastating place so to pick yourself back up for another big fight I don't think that fight should have happened um, why didn't he fight somebody likes of I don't even know I can't even think of anybody over to fight Domestically, the only name certainly at that level, which is always kind of mentioned, who hasn't fought recently, is probably Craig Richards. Craig Richards, he's not worth a carrot. He's not worth talking about him. Um, Ricky Summers, right? He's a, he's a fight for somebody. You know, he he can be knocked out, but he's very durable. Um, he's a tough man. He keeps coming. You know, I know he'd be there for the work. He he, he wants to fight and he wants the big fight. So. You put Dex Bellman and Ricky Summers in and, and Ricky Summers beats Dex Bellman, so why didn't they put Ricky Summers against him? Yard's victory does mean that about with Lyndon Arthur is kind of in the process of being finalised or agreed. When that is kind of announced, what do you make of it, Anthony Yard versus Lyndon Arthur? Well, put it this way, I'd stop Lyndon Arthur inside four rounds. And I'm not being big-headed and I'm not trying to be clever in this, that or the other. Lyndon can fight to an extent, but if you wanted a real test for Yard, get me, because I'd punch Yard's face in. That fight with Lyndon and Yard, if Lyndon comes out and tries to be the bully fighter, it will go in his favour. Lyndon's got the tools to beat him, but will he use them tools to his maximum? I don't know. Another name which is floating about now, the new British champion, Shakan Peters. I know you're sparring Chad Sugden in preparations for his bout with Shakan. Firstly, just reflect on that. What do you make of Shakan's victory over Chad? Good victory. He boxed well. I, I, that's the fight I watched. Chad looked like he was happy to lose. He was happy to be in there, you know, make the numbers up, smile about the matter. And, you know, I only seen it once or twice. Chad actually put a little bit of pressure on him. And Chad, uh, Chad seemed to... Brighten up the place a little bit, like caught him a few shots, and you didn't. You seen Shakan wasn't happy about it. All right, Shakan was in his comfort zone. Um, 
Shakan's not a bad fighter. He needs a few more to learn still. But listen, he's got the British title, he'll learn on the job. Where do you think Shakan can go now? Obviously, you mentioned he's got that British title, he's got a, an obvious height and reach advantage over most. Probably, well, you might be obviously a similar height to himself, but. No, he's, ac he's actually a little bit bigger than me. He's six foot six, so I've heard. I'm six foot four. Okay. But um, the thing is with Shakan, I don't think he can hold a punch at all. What I've heard and what I've seen little bits of him, he's very vulnerable when he gets hit. Just want to quickly touch on a couple of other things before I let you shoot just away from yourself and away from the gym. Um, we've obviously seen about a week ago Canelo's opened legal proceedings against the zone and Oscar De La Hora and what have you. Callum Smith, one of your campmates, was in the running for that fight. What do you make of that entire situation? Well, um, I don't really know much about that situation, so to, to me to have an opinion on that is, is not a very good one. Uh, we'll move away from that one. And final thing, obviously, we've seen Matt Room announce some shows recently. Well, yesterday, rather. White Pavetkin 2 being announced immediately following on from their rematch. If you was in Dillian's shoes, would you go straight for a rematch or would you have thought to have had an interim bout first? Um, if I was Pavetkin, I, I, I'd be saying, why do I need to fight him again? I've already knocked his head off once. Um, like, did it need to be? Did it need to be a... a a rematch straight away. I'm not sure on kind of uh, legalities on it, but right, cause, it's cause just... he wasn't a world champion, right? Why why did there need to be rematch clauses in that? Um, but anyway, if you beat somebody once, you've a good chance of beating them again. Um, it's not a fight that really excites me. Jose, we'll leave that there and we'll leave you now to shoot off. Appreciate it, Tom. Obviously, best of luck in Latvia next week as well. Thanks for being to Boxing Social. Thank you. <laughs>
to get a fight against him because I just thought this guy is not on my level. And the rivalry, it continued as he kept on saying things about me online, kept on calling me out. And then I see him at the Your Call and then whatever happened, happened, which it was on camera for everyone to see. And since then, this rivalry has built and the fight has built to a potentially massive fight. And now we're in a final of, of the golden contract. I can't avoid him. Now I can't say I'm on a different level because he's proved himself getting to this point that he's on that level. Tyrone, why do you dislike um, O'Hara so much? This, this feels like a genuine rivalry. Sometimes in boxing we have manufactured rivalries, but um, this one feels real. Look, at the start of my career, he's right. I was calling him out. I was, I was the nobody. He let everyone know I was the nobody. And uh, look, he kept on saying he's a bomb, he's a bomb. I'm not fighting him, fair enough. But slowly but surely, I was catching up. I was getting bigger fights, I was getting a bigger name. And eventually, I got big enough and in the bigger, biggest flat platform, I scored in contract final, uh, where he has to fit me. As he said, he's backed in the corner. Um, so I've got what I wanted after four year, long years of calling him out. Finally, O'Hara Davies is opposite me in the corner, and I'm very, very excited for it. What happened on that night at your call? Well, that's, that's this is the been the most interviewed question in the world. But uh, look, it happened a couple of days before on the Tuesday. He was on FaceTime with Leiden and uh, or, or Instagram Live, sorry. And uh, they were having whatever crack, and I was sitting in the lobby waiting for from color to fight. And uh, Leiden went over, being the promoter he is, the mixer that he is. He uh, put my face on, on the on the FaceTime um, and he said he was going to smash me the next time he saw me. So there was that. And then we went to the, the, the your call for the final, or for the for the quarterfinal for Trump Color. And uh, I seen him, I seen him going out for an uh, interview with Coogan. And I was warned all week, you better not go near O'Hara, you better not go near O'Hara, you're out of this competition. And I, I had that in the back of my mind. I was, I was rushing out to, to, to see O'Hara and I had to. Fitzpatrick stopped me and said, you better not be on him. It was in the back of my mind. I went out. I spoke up or whatever. I, I don't know, rushed forward or whatever. But uh, he he gripped me against the against the van. I was thinking to myself, did I let my hands go here and get out of the competition or just stick to it? I wanted to fight him. I don't want out of this competition. And uh, Coogan, lucky enough, dropped his expensive camera and intervened at the right time before things got a lot, a lot heated. And O'Hara, what's your version of events? We had a little back and forth over Instagram Live. I said things, he said things. But, um, you know, when he saw me in person in New York Hall and he approached me, I felt like he was getting a bit too close in my personal space. So I had to grab him and I had to push him up against the van. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all with all the trash talk and all that stuff. But if you're going to approach me in person, mate, you got to keep two metres apart from me. You gotta keep two meters apart. Give me my personal space. If you cut me my personal space, then something might go down. So something little went down. It wasn't too big. It was only small. But then Coogan got in a way, which he's, which I'm glad he did because Tyler McKenna would have got seriously hurt if Coogan didn't get in the way. Um, and um, that's what happened. And then after that, he went and he sat down, and he learned his, and he learned a decent lesson from that. Don't get in the harvest face. 
So then we got into the tournament. O'Hara, your route to the final. Just talk us through how much you've enjoyed the format and how much you feel that um, you've progressed uh, against Logan Yoon in the quarters and Jeff Afori in the semis. Um, when I first heard about the golden contract, I'll be honest, I wasn't too excited about it when MTK first told me about it. And once it started and the draw got made and it got announced online and I saw how the whole format's going to be for real, I was like, this is the best thing there's been. This is literally the best thing they've that there's been. And I'd like to thank MTK for giving me an opportunity to fight in the golden contract. But my first fight when I fought against Logan Yoon, I think it was a really good fight. Um, you know, I was back under Tony Cisse for that fight. I was fit. I was in good shape. Logan Yoon, he was a he was a great amateur boxer. He was unbeaten as a pro, highly rated. Everyone thought that I was going to get beat in that fight. And he's a southpaw. But I remember looking online a day before the fight, looking at what everyone's been saying online and everyone's saying that I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get knocked out. I don't like fighting against southpaws, blah, blah, blah. And I just knew in myself, you wait and see. Because when I'm in this shape now, I'm unstoppable and I'm unbeatable. And for that fight, I was unstoppable. And I made easy money of him. I got the knockout bonus. And then Ofori... Same thing. I knew this guy's going to be easy work. Basically free money. Knock him out six rounds, get the knockout money and get an easy route to the final. Tyrone, what about your own personal journey through the golden contract? How do you reflect on the quarters and the semis? I think mine's been a, a tougher journey, obviously, to, to, the, to the final. Um, the first fit was Mickey Saggy. He was, he was green. He, he's only pro maybe eight phase name fights at the time. Um, so it wasn't a difficult first fight. I mean I think he's very good, but it was I was just too much too much experience for him. Um, so I handled that fight with ease. And then uh the semi final I got hit through against uh Mamoon, who was the, the tournament favourite. Everyone thought was gonna win the competition. I went out, I had a, a tenor and war room and I came out the victor and, and I think I've learned a lot more than uh, O'Hara would have in his two fights than I have in my two fights. I think it's better prepared me for the final. Um, I mean, I see people saying uh, O'Hara is going to knock me out. O'Hara is better than me. O'Hara is this and that. O'Hara is that. The boogie's even saying that, uh, that I'm an underdog. But I've been an underdog before and I came out on top. So I'm very excited. And I believe I'm the better boxer. Just want to... Uh proceed this question by saying it is not you that scores the fight. And I said that to you in the post-fight interview. When you look back and the criticism that came after the result, does that affect you at all? No, because that's, that's what the internet's for. The internet is for people to go on and absolutely rip you apart. You never get people going on and saying, oh, Tyrone's the greatest. Because it takes too much time. People want to go on. They want to troll you. They want to rip you apart. They want to make you feel bad about yourself. But I got thick skin and I don't care. Um, it was a close fight. Um, he did have a lot of big rounds, but I, there was a lot of close rounds that could have won either way. And I won the first half of the fight. So the robbery statement is just ridiculous. But and the, this, the online slating that they still get, I mean, I put up a picture of me and my kids and I still get slated underneath it. But uh, <laughs> I just have to laugh at it. Like it's, it's what's happening. I mean, if you're doing something right, you're going to get slated. And, um, to bring on more hit. I, I love it. Just on this fight now, this rivalry, 
O'Hara, will you be satisfied if you win on points? Or is this this personal that this fight has to end inside the distance for you to be walk away and be happy? Um, to be honest, it's not personal. It's just business. Listen, I've got my contract there. I saw for the first fight, Logan Union, I'll get a little knockout bonus. So I remember being sat there in round five and I was like, you know what, I'm going to let this fight go to points. And I thought, oh yeah, if I knock him out, I'll get a little bonus. I come out next round, I knocked him out. Ofori, I said, you know what, same thing. I might let it go to points, but you know what? I get a knockout bonus. I'm going to knock him out. Now, on the third fight, I knocked him both out in round six, by the way. For this third fight, I get an even bigger knockout bonus. So, it's not personal. It's just business. But he will be getting knocked out, definitely. And like I said, it's not personal. It's not, no, it's not about no angry rivalry. It's just business. I can't let that money slip by me. And like a and just like a landlord, I'm I'm coming to collect on fight night. Tyrone, is it personal for you? Does the result matter or is it just a win? The method isn't important. Bohar is gonna be very disappointed when he doesn't get that knockout. I love in spawn and in fates and in life, I love getting stuck in, taking punches and giving punches. That's it's something I enjoy. And uh I just don't believe he's going to be able to be strong enough to knock me out. I think Jack Cattle probably hits harder enough. But other than that, I mean, he wants to go for it. He wants to, to try and go for the knockout. We can stand the center of the ring. We can go to war. And we can see who is more, who's better conditioned, who's ready for this, who can sink and who can swim. I'm ready for anything. But I don't care about bonuses or, or not bonuses. I just care about the win and getting that financial security for my kids to finish this off i thought what we would do is kind of like a, a one minute state okay so i've got my battered iphone here with a one minute time i'm going to give you each one minute state your case how and why you win this fight i'm going to start with you o'hara because we are billing it as davies v mckenna so here we go one minute to state your case starting now i'm gonna win this fight first of all because my name is o'hara davis second of all because for this camp, I'm unstoppable. I'm unbeatable. I've worked so hard. I've run the hills. I've done all the sparring. I've been sparring the like middleweights. I've been sparring a couple of the heavyweights, tall, rangy guys. And you know what? I've been handling myself well. I've killed myself every day in the gym. I'm faster than I've been in the past. I'm a lot smarter than I've been in the past. My, my, my footwork is a lot better than it's been in the past. My speed is a lot better than it's been in the past. And I'm going to win this fight just because I refuse to lose. And when I've got my mind set on a goal, I can achieve anything. Listen, I can fly if I really, if I really want to. If I set my mind to it and I said, you know what? I want to learn to fly. I will learn to fly. And I believe that me, O'Hara Davis, I can do anything. There is nothing impossible for a man that has the will. And there's nothing impossible for me. And that's why I'm going to win. Because that's I can your time. Do that's your time. The man's going to fly. I'm Superman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me, let, me re, let me reset this and we will go again. Okay, Tyrone, you've, uh, you've had the benefit of hindsight and hearing what he's had to say. So, Tyrone, your one minute starts now. Listen, I'm going to win because O'Hara has confused himself. One minute, he's slobbering the, the, the Anthony Fowler. Next minute, he's selling CBD himself. One minute, he's slobbering the Mayweather. Next minute, he's wearing a money team hat. 
he doesn't know what he's at. One minute he's sparring an Albanian, the next minute he's getting in a street fight. Um, listen, I have focused. I've I've been driven against one thing, and that's fate no power. The golden contract final, winning it, and uh, that's all I've focused on. It seems like he's focused on a lot more than just Terry McKenna, and that's going to be his downfall. Um, I'm a lot better than he thinks. I'm a lot more awkward than he thinks. He, he's probably looking at me and saying, "Ah, oh, I can hit him easy." When you get in the ring with me, it's a completely different story. And uh, he's going to find that out and fade me. Okay. You finished with eight seconds to go. So I'll, both inside the time. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's, no, there's no bonuses for finishing this early. Right, I'll give you one <laughs> last chance uh, to say one message to each other. O'Hara, your final prediction and your final message to Tyrone. Prepare for the hardest fight of your boxing career. Tyrone, your final message to O'Hara. I really hope O'Hara comes in unbelievable form. I want to fight the best O'Hara Davies that he has to offer because that's what I want to be. Brilliant. Well, thank you both very much for joining us. O'Hara Davies, Tyrone McKenna. Wish you all the best of luck in the final weeks ahead of the, your preparation for the Golden Contract Super Lightweight Final. Wish you all the best, lads. Thank you very much. So, Danny Flexen for seconds out. Delighted to be joined by Hall of Fame promoter Frank Warren. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Dave? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, shows being announced left, right and centre by not just you, but other promoters as well. You've just come off the Anthony Yard, Dex Bellman show. How satisfied were you with how that came out? Yeah, I thought Anthony did well. It was a really good performance. And now we're... Uh... You know, now we're getting together the uh, Lyndon Arthur fight and him. Um, but I thought, you know, that getting that ring rust out of his system and obviously he's been through some quite traumatic times during uh, this uh, current situation with the pandemic. And he's, uh, you know, he needed that. He needed to get out there and, and, uh, and I thought he'd done an excellent job against a really brave and tough opponent. What did you make of the stoppage? Because there's been a little bit of consternation from Spellman's camp that maybe it was a bit soft. What, what did you think? You know, you don't expect him to say that. And he's a tough guy, you know. And he, that, you know, you, you can see he was disappointed. But I think it was the right thing to do. I think at that stage, you know, Anthony started moving up through the gears and uh, turning, it, turning on the heat. And he did what he had to do. And, uh, you know, I think the referee made the right decision. Hefron against Bentley delivered in the ring as everyone thought it probably yeah. would. How, how did you score it? I've got it's funny. I was I was I met yesterday with um, with Tony and Mark Bowers and we were talking about it. Not you know and uh, one of you know was talking and I, I said there was nothing in it. You could go either way with that fight. You know, and it's not sitting on the fence. It just was. Not, I don't think there was a lot in it. And it depends how you score fights. Sometimes you know, very unusual for three judges to give it as a draw to start with. But I thought that, um, you know, if you're looking for a guy who's, show, who's walking forward, showing a lot of aggression, then um, you know, Mark obviously did that, not Tommy. And he did extremely, uh, he did extremely well. And uh, from that perspective, but if you're looking for, you know, counter box, counter punching, you know, guy fighting on the back foot, then Zul did the same. So it, it depends how you look at it. But there was not a lot in it. There was a fag paper in it and it sets up a great rematch. I think my only disappointment was what a fight that, I mean, it was a great fight, but what a fight it would have been if it had a live audience there. 
Could you imagine what the atmosphere would be like? So it was, you know, I think it's probably one of the best fights that have been, you know, that, that's been uh, shown since uh, since the boxing's come back. And you know, it was, and it was a good domestic bust-up. So we're going to get it back on again, probably in, sometime in November. Great stuff. And obviously, looking ahead to next week, uh, you've got Josh Taylor. He's not your fighter per se, but he is going to be on BT Sport. How excited are you to have a unified world champion on BT Sport in the calibre of Josh Taylor? Well, I'm very excited. I and mean, it's the first men's world title fight you know, that we've had in the, in the UK since uh, lockdown. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a good fight. It's a tough fight as well. And I know I keep saying it, but again, there's no one going into anyone's backyard now. You know, for Consong, he's going into a neutral venue. So, you know, I, I think this fight is going to be a really good, good quality fight. Um, Josh came down to, to take in the atmosphere last week and see what it was like in a venue without any crowd. And he was, you know, I think he, he got the feel and the flavour of it, which was quite a smart thing to do. And Charlie Edwards, of course, making his Queensbury debut on the, on the show too. Yeah, looking forward to that. So he's coming out and, uh, you know, again, get some ring rust out of his system and, and hopefully set himself up for another crack at the world title early in the new year. And then following hot on the hills, we see the likes of Liam Williams, Nathan Gorman, who seems to have been out for, for ages now because he was unlucky. He was on the original Taylor bill that got postponed just before the lockdown. Um, good to see him back. And Liam Williams, I guess for him, it's all about staying focused at the moment while he awaits that shot at Android. Well, it is, but he, you know, he's not. Liam's a good pro, and he's not going to over overlook. I mean, he's been dying to get, he's been challenging every, everybody. I don't think he's left anybody out, is he? It's like it's like he's going through the yellow pages. Um, no, he's in there. He's in with it. obviously Andrew Robinson. That's the ordered by the boxing board of control for his title. So I think that's a you know, it's a good fight for him. It'll be a decent fight, I hope. And uh, you know, Liam gets through that. Obviously, we've got the Andrade fight, the WBO have ordered that, and we want to get out as soon as possible, and I really do fancy that he can beat Andrade. And the big question looking further ahead, is, of course, relates to Daniel Dubois against Joe Joyce, a fight that everyone's looking forward to um, on BT Sport box office as well. What's the latest on when that's going to take place, where it's going to take place, and who, if anyone, it's going to take place in front of? Um, right. Well, at the moment, I can't give you an answer on any We've got it scheduled for October, but I don't think it's going to happen on that date. Um, but it will happen. We are working on it uh, to make sure it happens. Uh, that's one of the reasons we met yesterday with, uh, with Tony and, uh, and Martin. And uh, the bottom line of it is, is we're in the hands of the government. Um, you know, contrary to what Eddie Hearn says, we've been, you know, he's not... The, He's the only one dealing with the government. He's absolute crap. We've been talking to the government uh, department for the last couple of months. In fact, they came to, came to our office to discuss what's happening with the live gates. And we're trying to get this test event on. I know the Boxing Board of Control are obviously doing the same thing, and they're speaking to the Minister of Sport. So we are working hard to to you know to get some parameters of where we, you know, where we you know what we can deal with. And uh I think at best it's going to be something like 20 to 25% um, audience that we get into a venue, but it's a question of when. And obviously, you know, the last uh, week or so, we've been getting this spike, haven't we? And, uh, they're locking down cities and so forth again. Um, so we've got to just see what, how it pans out in the next week or so. I mean, we're all in no man's land. I don't think anybody knows really what's happening. And I don't blame... 
even blame government for that. Just nobody, nobody knows where we're going with this, do they? You know, there's no at the moment. There's no vaccine for it. So all we can do is try and keep everybody as safe as possible. And when we do get something, on, we we'll try and get it in a safe environment. So we're working closely to try and do that. And I hope we'll be in a position, probably at the end of October, early November, where we can have an event with 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 a live audience there. How do you balance it out in terms of having only 20 or 25% of fans and the size of venue you're going to take on? Because you still have to pay a fee for the venue. That might be reduced. We don't know. But how do you balance those factors? Well, of course you have to pay, you know, you, you pay the fee for the, the venue, but it's also, as you're losing the 75% of your gate revenue, especially if you've got a big fight that we had, you know, certainly when we're talking about Daniel and Joe was sold out. Um it's very difficult. So from our perspective, uh, we're determined to get it on, to get the fight on. Both the guys want it, want the fight. So we've got to try and make it happen. So um, how it happens is, you know, it, as I say, it, it's, it depends how the configuration of the venue, how many people are going to be allowed to sit next to each other. Is it going to be the six people can sit together or have you all got to sit separately? No one knows that yet. So until we get some guidelines on that, we, can, we don't know how we're even going to set the venue out. But the fact of the matter is we will have to use the whole of the venue. You know, we're not going to be, you know, I've been, you know, we've done shows in the past where you've only sold, say, you know, 50% of the tickets. So you move everybody down from upstairs into the into the bowl. Uh, we're not going to be able to do that. We're going to have to use the whole, use, use all of the venue to make it work. And in a, in a similar vein, what's the latest information you can give us on Fury Wilder 3? Is that still likely to happen this year? Look, we're working very hard on uh, between all the parties to try and get this work, get this sorted. And I'm hoping that something will come through very soon. You know, there's been some real positive um, moves uh, to get it on. And we're, we really are working very hard to get it on this year. I mean, you've said previously that Tyson will fight this year regardless. Is that still the case? Or does the ongoing problems with getting fans in mean that even he might have to delay his plans? I don't know. I think I think at the moment we're just trying to see where we're getting to with the you know, with uh, with uh, his fight against Wilder. Once we know where we are where we are with that, then obviously Tyson can make a decision as to what he wants to do. We also saw this week, I, I have to talk to you about the competition on occasion, they've announced their autumn schedule, if you like, for the UK. I think the thing that's caused the most conversation from that is the quick turnaround in Dillian White's rematch with Alexander Povetkin. And you've had some views on that previously. What do you make? Apparently it's 91 days between first fight and that heavy knockout and the, and the rematch. Look, you know, I'll just say how it is. It's... Um... Uh, it's, I, I don't think if it, if it was me if I was managing Dillian White I wouldn't do that I would wait you know I feel he needs a rest it wasn't like it was a you know a, it's not like Dex Spellman complaining about getting stopped you know he got stopped he was stopped on his feet but he was stopped um, he was concussed he was out cold he was given oxygen so you know me, if it was me, I'll, you know, it's not something I'll be doing, but it's not me. That's their choice. And, you know, Dillian knows the boxing board of control are aware of the situation. But so that's their, that's between all of them to make that decision where, where they're going. But for me, I wouldn't be doing it. And uh, if you want a proper, you know, comment on it and who should know, you best probably ask the doctor rather than me what they feel about it.
What did you make, and this is something Cole Greaves brought up, you may have seen the interview on our channel yesterday or the day before, that Dex Bellman got a 45-day suspension for his stoppage against Yard, whereas Dillian White only got 28 days for the knockout against Povetkin. What, what did you make of that discrepancy? Well, you, you, I've just said what happened, haven't I? <laughs> what do I make of that? Go and figure the logic in that. You know, something is dramatically wrong there, isn't there? I mean, that can't be right under any circumstances. You know, if I was Dex Spellman, I'd be looking at that. I'd be I'd be pissed off in a big, big way. But, you know, that's the board of control. They made that decision. Me, uh, as I said, you asked me about, you know, that, that <laughs> what people have to understand, a 45-day day suspension, it doesn't mean you can't, obviously you can't box in that time. You're not supposed to be in there sparring. So the preparation you have in between fights is even less for your training camp and so forth. So, you know, for me, um, I, I didn't I didn't actually know it was 45. You just told me that. I didn't. I was unaware. I was quite, I'm quite surprised at that, to be honest. You know, if uh, if looking at the two knockouts, you'd think it'd be the other way around. Oh, yeah. The two stuff. Yeah. Um. While we're on the subject of the competition, there was a lot of talk in the summer of you and Eddie sitting down, going through these co-promotional fights that you suggested. Um, has there been any development on that at all? Don't ask me. Don't ask him. You know, it's funny. I, I, I see, uh, what's his name, um, on IFL, uh, Coogan. He never asks the question, does he? When he does his interviews, he ne you always ask me the question. <laughs> or, or Umar on there asked me the question. He never asked, they never asked the question. So you have to ask them, look, you know, for me, it ain't going to happen. If it's not happened by now, it's not going to happen. I, I sort of reached out, tried to make it happen. You know, I thought it would be good for the fights that we were talking about, the fact for the fans. Um, be good to sit down. I think we could have done a bit of, you know, maybe a bit of a, uh, trading between fighters and fights and trying to get some fights on between us, but it's not happened. So I doubt if it'll happen, but, uh, but let me tell you, so I'm a bit too old to be sitting around waiting for anything. I've never sat around waiting for anything in my whole life. I'm not so about to do it now. That's for sure. And just a quick um, chat with you about the TV figures. Uh, one journalist in particular seemed to be keen to give you a bit of stick about the early TV figures on the return from lockdown. Since then, you've had the Frampton and Conlon show, which did the best figures of any broadcaster, subscription broadcaster, since lockdown. How satisfying was it that you pulled that out of the bag, having got that probably unfair criticism beforehand? Well, look, you know, I've made it very clear. I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. The barb figures for me don't mean too much. Um, and I've said that. But as people, as that particular journalist, was it Coppinger? He's the guy who wants to use them. He uses them. He, you know, he wants to carry on using them. He should, you know, do the same thing. You got to be, if you get, if you're impartial, if you're an impartial person, then act impartial. That's what journalists are supposed to do. If you're in somebody's pocket, and I'm not saying he is, but he's, you know, he's his actions speak louder than words. Maybe um, the facts of actually, he hasn't mentioned. You, you know, that isn't Carl's fight. Actually, wasn't the biggest viewing figures. The, the, you know, the, the uh, Daniel Dubois fight got even larger numbers. So we've had the two highest uh, ratings since we come back. Um, and they are what they are. But, they, you know, it, 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 look, I'm pleased with what we're, you know, where we're going, what we're doing. We, as I mentioned before to you in previous interviews, we dipped our toe in the water when we started off because we were more interested in the, 
obviously want to get the guys work, get our young fighters out, which is all about for us, and get, you know, actually get it up and running. We've done three shows to ensure, you know, very quick succession to ensure that all the uh, protocols that were being put in place would be, would work. And they'd work for all the, you know, for uh, other promoters. You know, we went out there and, 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 and sort of basically got that moving. So, uh, that's what we're now. We've done our first tranche of shows. We're on to our next ones. We're announcing our next group of shows. I was hoping to get it done this week, but I think it'll be next week now. And uh, they're quite. I think everybody will be quite excited what we're putting together. I mean, not obviously we mentioned a couple of fights there. Rematch between uh, you know uh, Heffern and Bentley's one of them. We've obviously uh, we're going to get um, Anthony Yard fight on with Lyndon Arthur, and we talked about the heavyweight fight that we're trying to get on. Uh, so we're really, really working hard to deliver some really good competitive shows that the fans can engage with. And just a, a bit of a left field one to end on. We've seen recently the um, ongoing dispute between Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy promotions. You've had fallouts with fighters in the past, it's fair to say. I think anyone with your time in the business is going to have one or two. Which one hurt you the most? What of a fallout? Yeah, with a fallout. I think all of them. I'll tell you what it is, Dan, with a fallout. Most of the, I, I, you know, when I look back at sort of the high, if you look at the, the guys that you really, um, you know, you work with, I've not fallen, I never fell out with the fighters. I never had, never had a, a round with uh, Ricky Hatton. I never had a round with Naz. It was with the people who were working on their behalf, which caused the problems. So that that you know is is quite disappointing, and may, and that's my fault in some ways that I should have, I should have just gone forgot about the people in the middle and gone straight to the boxer himself, and said you know what's the problem? And I think had that happened, maybe maybe things would have been you know been different. You know, um, Josh Warrington, we did we we didn't part with you know we we contract come to an end, and I wished him well, and off he went. But it's quite disappointing. In some ways, what happened with you know where we got to, but I was disappointed with that, and I was disappointed because um, we never even we never really got to talk about it. But that was their choice at the end of the day. So we are where we are with that. Um, there's been a few of them, but you know what? You can't dwell on it. I'm too old to be worried about that. I move forward. What I would say is that Nigel Ben in his book says he wish he'd ever split up. Naz has gone publicly. I, I, you know, he's done a couple of interviews. I know he done one on Sky where he said, you know, he wish he'd never gone away um, and, and did what he's and, and did it. Ricky Hatton and I had great, really great, had a great time. Ricky said the highlight of his career was him fighting Costa Zoo. So I've had great times with these guys, with lots of them, and I'm friends with with, with some of them now. You know, quite, you know, very friendly. I speak to Naz uh, occasionally. I'm Ricky. We, we get on tremendously well together. Probably get on better now than we ever did. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful from the, the memories that I've got of those shows and the great fights that they put on and their performances. That I was part of that, that I helped to make those things happen. So there's been some great memories there for me. And I'm sure that'd be the same with uh, Golden Boy and, uh, and, and Canelo. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, they're, they're things. It is obviously about a contractual situation with the zone. The zones are obviously suffering like, like a lot of businesses are financially. I think they're, they, I'm understanding their American operation now is going to be, they're just taking in the international feed rather than basing it in the States. Um, and obviously they want to cut their money. They made it very public they're cutting their money. Uh, so 
they, I'm, I'm sure, you know, their biggest star of the zone is Canelo. And, and he's the only fighter there that's delivered any any subscription base. None of those other shows have hardly delivered anything for him. And you think about all the money that was invested, and a lot of money was invested by Len Blavnerick. He put a fortune into it to establish the business in the States, and they haven't de developed one single star. No standout fighter, no box office success, not one. So that's got to be an indictment on the people promoting that they haven't done that. All that money, that big blaze of glory and come up with nothing. Frank, really appreciate your time. Um, I hope we get to do it again before the next haircut. Um, we need to do it more often. Where'd you get that done? At the Albert Hall? <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. You'll be good, safe and well, and I'll see you soon, mate. And you take care, Frank. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.